Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11, reading through verse 15. Please give your attention as God's Word is read. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, He is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Thus far the reading of God's Word. It's good to see the sun is kindly going down a little bit. I still have a hard time seeing this half of the room, but um, anyway, we'll make do. In the Old Testament economy, there were three offices, three ministries to which God called men into and to which God ordained them to serve. The prophet, the priest, and the king. The prophet was a man who mediated the Word of God to God's people. He was God's spokesman for, uh, to God's people. And he would present and proclaim God's Word to his people. The king mediated God's rule of the people. And as the king went, as we see throughout the Old Testament, as the king went, uh, so went the people. If the king was righteous and good and strong, the people were righteous as well. But if the king was wicked, the people fell into wickedness. The priest, the third officer, the priest, mediated on behalf of the people of God. He prayed for them. And he offered sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. Now when we study the life and work of Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ fulfilled all three offices of prophet, priest, and king in one person. Jesus, as the incarnate Word of God, makes the Father's will known to us. He is the prophet that proclaims God's Word to us. Jesus, as the son of David, is the coming king who reigns even now at the Father's right hand, and when he returns, will consummate that kingdom at the end of the age. Now, however, though we see a lot of Jesus' prophet and king, we don't seem to focus as much or as strongly on Jesus' priestly work. And that's why we're looking here at Hebrews chapter 9 in this passage tonight. We need to understand, as we come to this passage, we need to understand a little bit of the context of the book as a whole. The author, who is unknown, uh, is presumably writing to a group of Jewish Christians who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. More than likely, these Jewish Christians are suffering persecution for their faith, and they are being tempted then to abandon Christianity and return to the relative... I put that in quotes, right? Relative 
safety of the Jewish faith. The author writes to show to these group of to this group of Jewish Christians who are tempted to abandon Christianity, he writes to show them the surpassing worth, the superiority of Jesus Christ. Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to Aaron in the Levitical priesthood. Jesus has a superior priestly office and He has a superior mediatorial ministry. He is a better priest and He is a better mediator. As I mentioned earlier, this passage here, Hebrews 9, verses 11-15, through give us a behind-the-scenes, if you will, perspective of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because as Jesus was dying on that cross 2,000 years ago, something awesome, something amazing was being accomplished. Something that was hidden from all human eyes. Jesus was fulfilling all of the Old Testament types and shadows in regard to the Jewish religious life. Jesus is a better high priest who offers better blood to ratify and mediate a better covenant. So when we're all done this evening, I hope that we will see that Jesus obtains for us an eternal redemption so that we can receive an eternal inheritance. Jesus obtains for us an eternal redemption so that we can receive an eternal inheritance. Now first, let us look at verses 11-12 through as we see Jesus is a better high priest. As I mentioned earlier, we don't really think too deeply on Jesus' work as a priest. The Gospels focus quite a bit on His teaching ministry, on His miraculous healing ministry. There's also some emphasis on the Kingdom of God and how Jesus is the King because He is the Son of David. But you don't really see Jesus' work as our great high priest until Passion Week, as he goes to the cross. Now clearly there is something priestly about the death of Christ on Good Friday, and that's what we're going to explore tonight. In fact, in John's Gospel, we see John the Baptist refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And that image of the lamb calls to mind all of the Old Testament animal sacrifices. But it would also call to mind the Passover lamb. In that first Passover back in Exodus, when that lamb was slain and the blood of that lamb was put on the doorposts so that the angel of death would know and see the blood and pass over that house. The blood was what protected the people. The blood was what saved the people. We also see in John's Gospel, Jesus' great intercessory prayer in chapter 17, commonly called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. So we do see some hints of Jesus as a priest. But here, in the the book of Hebrews, I believe we get the Holy Spirit-inspired commentary, if you will, on the death of Jesus and what it means for us. Because it is in Hebrews chapter 9 that we see why Jesus is a better high priest. Look at verses 11 and 12 again, please. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, 
with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The superiority of Jesus' priesthood is seen in how he appears here as a high priest of the good things to come. Or if you have an ESV, the good things that have come. Everything in the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, everything that those priests did in the Old Testament looked forward to its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Those good things that were promised in the past have now come with the priestly work of Christ. We also see the superiority of Christ's priesthood in that He serves in a better tabernacle. Now we don't see it so much in our passage here, but in verses 1-10, through 10, the author of Hebrews speaks about the earthly sanctuary and the limitations of that sanctuary and the limitations of the ministry that could be performed there. Because in that earthly sanctuary, the Levitical priesthood, day after day, month after month, year after year, would continue to offer sacrifices daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. They would come into the tent with the blood of bulls and goats performing a seemingly endless amount of blood sacrifices. The Old Testament religion was a bloody religion, if you will. And as verse 9 of chapter Hebrews says, it was symbolic. It was symbolic for the present time. Not so with Jesus. As opposed to the earthly sanctuary, as opposed to the Levitical priesthood, Jesus here comes to the great and more perfect tabernacle. The one not made with hands. That is, as the author says, not of this creation. Jesus didn't go into that earthly tent carrying the blood of bulls uh, bulls and goats. Jesus went into the heavenly sanctuary, the most holy place where God dwells and after which the earthly sanctuary was patterned. And Jesus doesn't go in there with the blood of goats and calves. He comes in with His own blood. Now what this all means is that when Jesus is hanging on that cross on Golgotha 2,000 years ago, when He was crucified there between two thieves, it was when at that moment when He died that He was entering into that heavenly sanctuary with His own precious blood. Blood that Peter says is more precious than gold or silver. Jesus was literally going where no man had gone before into the very majestic presence of God Himself. What the earthly priest did every year on the Day of Atonement in an earthly tabernacle, Jesus did once for all in the heavenly tabernacle. And by doing so, He obtained eternal redemption for His people. So Jesus is a better high priest. He offers better blood as we will see in verses 13 and 14. Now verse 12, we saw that Jesus enters the heavenly sanctuary not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with His own blood. In verses 13 and 14, explain why Jesus' blood is better. Look again please at verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats 
And the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here we see the author using a sort of classic lesser to greater argument that we see a lot of in Scripture. Paul likes to use this argument from the lesser to the greater. And the author here is going to make a comparison between the blood of bulls and goats with the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And as I mentioned earlier, what's so special about blood? Right? What, what is it about blood that makes it so special and so necessary in the sacrificial system? Because the Bible talks quite a bit about blood. There's a lot of blood talk in the Bible. Is there something special about blood? Is there something magical about blood? Well, blood is synonymous with life. Blood is synonymous with life. Genesis 9.4, when uh, God is giving to uh, Noah uh, sort of like the updated version of the covenant that he gave to Adam. He says, but you shall, eat, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Or Leviticus 17, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the souls. So when we see the blood of Jesus, it's not as if he were to like prick his finger, that blood would somehow magically redeem us. The idea of shedding blood means the taking of a life. That's why the author of Hebrews will later say in chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or there is no forgiveness of sins. Right? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And death is the shedding of of one's blood. And because the wages of sin is death, God instituted the Jewish sacrificial system. And He ordained priests to mediate these sacrifices so that the people would not be consumed by God's holy hatred of sin. In most sacrifices in the system, the burnt sacrifice, the guilt sacrifice, the sin offering, an animal was killed. And its blood, symbolic of its life, was sprinkled on the altar. And in a symbolic sort of identification between the animal and the one offering the sacrifice, one would put his or her hands on the head of the animal, sort of somehow symbolically transferring one's guilt, one's sin, one's one's, uh, transgression to the animal that would be slain in his or her place. The animal was killed in the place of the one offering the sacrifice. And thus we see the concept of substitutionary atonement. Or the, someone standing in the place of another to pay the penalty. Before the coming of Jesus, this entire Old Testament sacrificial system was effective for the atoning, for the cleansing, and for the sanctifying of the people. The problem was is that this system needed to be repeated day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Again, an endless 
line of animals being slaughtered on behalf of the sin of God's people. A little while ago, I noticed on my car, I had a slow leak in one of my tires. Now, I could continue to drive my car, right? I can go to the service station, check the tire pressure, fill the tire, and then I can continue driving for my day. I can do that indefinitely, right? But the problem is, every time I wanted to drive my car, I'd have to go to the filling station, check the pressure, fill the tire, and then go about my business. If only there was some way that I could fix my tire so I didn't have to do this day after day, week after week, year after year. That's probably what the Jews in the Old Testament time felt like. If only there was some way I didn't have to continue slaughtering a petting zoo in order to atone for my sins. The blood of bulls and goats was useful, as the text here says, in the purifying of the flesh. In fact, you see this ashes of a heifer talks about a purification ceremony in which the ashes, this would be an animal that was already burnt on the sacrificial altar. The ashes of that animal would then be put into some water and the water would be used in a cleansing ritual. It purified the flesh. It made what was unclean, ceremonially speaking, it made it clean. The blood of bulls and goats only had ceremonial power. It only worked in the idea or the concept within this framework of the sacrificial system. It did nothing to deal permanently with the stain of sin on our souls. For that, we need a better high priest offering better blood. Thus, enter Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Because if the blood of an unblemished animal can make a person ceremonially clean, what can the blood of the perfect and unblemished Lamb of God do? It can accomplish so much more, right? It can accomplish infinitely more. Again, at that moment, when Christ breathed His last and uttered the words, it is finished, Jesus Christ, through the means of the eternal Spirit, as the text says here, offered Himself without spot to God. And here we see the amazing and awesome truth portrayed on the cross. Jesus Christ is not only the great high priest, He is both priest and sacrifice. He is both priest and sacrifice. No human earthly priest could do what Jesus, our high priest, did. Namely, offer Himself up as the atonement for our sins. In fact, Hebrews goes through great lengths to talk about the limitations of the earthly priesthood. The high priest, when he goes in for the Day of Atonement, had to offer up a sacrifice for himself to atone for his own sins before he can even begin to atone for the sins of his people. But not so Jesus Christ. And the cleansing power of the blood of Christ doesn't just purify our flesh, it cleanses our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. And this is a truth that the Apostle John proclaims so beautifully in his first epistle in 1 John 1, verses 7 and 9, 
where he writes, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of bulls and goats can't do that. The blood of bulls and goats can't cleanse you from your sins. Only the blood of the Son of God, only the blood of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, can cleanse us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And again, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What we as sinners stand in need of most, Jesus through His precious blood provides. 1 Peter, I've alluded to this earlier. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Peter writes, knowing that you were not redeemed, you were not bought with corruptible things, that is, things of this world, things that are passing away, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But, Peter writes, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We are all born with the stain of sin, a stain that we can do nothing to cleanse. It's kind of like if you are familiar with the play Macbeth, right? And Lady Macbeth, as she's having these nightmares of the blood, the stain of the blood on her hands, and she's saying, out, damn spot. That is us with our sin. We are desperately trying to cleanse ourselves from the stain of our sin and there's nothing we can do to do it. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, while able to make one ceremonially clean before God, it all pointed forward to the fullness of time when Jesus came into this world, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus is a better high priest who offers better blood in a better sanctuary. And now finally, in verse 15, he does this for a better covenant. This is all to ratify and seal in his blood a better covenant. Verse 15, and for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant or of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. Because Jesus entered into the heavenly sanctuary with His own blood, He is now the mediator of a better covenant. He is the mediator by means of death. That new covenant that Jesus inaugurated at the Last Supper where He says, I now bring to you a new covenant in My blood. It was sealed by the blood that was shed upon the cross when He died. Now the author of Hebrews spends quite a bit of time in this book extolling the virtues of the New Covenant. How it is better than the Old Covenant. How the Old Covenant is obsolete because now Jesus is here. The Old Covenant made at Sinai had served its purpose. But it could never redeem the transgressions committed under it. A new covenant is needed. And a new covenant was promised by the prophet Jeremiah, which the author of Hebrews quotes in chapter 8. Jeremiah 31, verses 31-34. to Where the prophet says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. That is the Mosaic covenant. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Note that, right? Because it says the old covenant that he made, they broke. But now this new covenant, in this new covenant, God says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And a new covenant needs a new mediator. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. The Bible speaks of Jesus as being the only mediator between God and man in 1 Timothy 2.5. Jesus stands in the gap between God and man. He stands in the gap between a holy God who is angry at our sin and a sinful human race that desperately needs forgiveness. He mediates this new covenant by taking our sins upon His shoulders and suffering God's righteous wrath in our place. And He then, through faith, gives us His perfect righteousness so that we can be redeemed and receive, as the author of Hebrews says here, the promise of the eternal inheritance. The mediatorial work was being done on the cross from the time Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the way up to the time where Jesus uttered the words, It is finished. Our consciences are cleansed. And we have been redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven. And we will now receive our eternal inheritance. And all of this because Jesus Christ is a better high priest offering better blood in order to ratify a better covenant. Well, the cross of Jesus Christ is really the apex right, of human history. It is sort of the center point of redemptive history, if if you know if you could take redemptive history and make it like a you know like a seesaw, you know the the crucifixion would be that fulcrum in which this, in which the seesaw balances. It is the point in which our great high priest performed his great priestly work. Jesus went into the heavenly sanctuary with his own blood and obtained for us an eternal redemption. And by ratifying the new covenant in His blood, we who are called now will receive our eternal inheritance that is promised. And what appeared to the watching world as just another Roman crucifixion of another sort of, you know, wannabe criminal between two other criminals, that's what the world saw, was in reality the greatest mediatorial work ever done. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the story is incomplete, right? Holy Week is the celebration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We often summarize, right, the gospel. If you were to say, give me the gospel in a few words, well, Jesus died for my sins, right? That's kind of a summary of the gospel that we all say. And praise God, that's true, right? But it's only half the story. 
Jesus did indeed die for my sins. But as Paul will say in our passage on Sunday, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. To hear the other half of the story, you've got to come back Sunday. Kind of whet the appetite there. But know this, right? Because Jesus Christ is both the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice, we can rest assured that He will be perfectly vindicated by being raised from the dead. And that is the Gospel, right? Jesus Christ died for our sins and Jesus Christ was raised for our justification. Let's pray.